You are listening to the Enormo Cast. When it comes to protecting climbers, we all know that Black Diamond makes great gear to keep you alive on those big climbs. But look more closely and you will find a company that has the climbing community's back in many deeper ways. For 25 years, Black Diamond has carried a vision that they have a vested interest in protecting the places that you're going to use that gear. The company is well aware that they have the clout that an individual doesn't have to stand up to those who would sell, close, or destroy our beloved climbing areas. Advocacy groups across the world have found BD willing and able to help them bring powerful kung fu to the fight for our right for adventure. So look to Black Diamond for the best climbing protection that money can buy and know that they are working to protect the climbing areas where you're going to use it. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big house. place outside of town. Very That's a big nice. place. You sold What's it that out. I'll say, you really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed climbing with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes. And now, La Sportiva has joined the Enormo Nation as a premier sponsor. And of course, don't forget Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com, enter Enormo at checkout to get a discount on great coffee and to help out the Enormocast. Please support all of our great sponsors and let them know that you love them. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormicast. This is your host, Chris Galoose. It is September 16th, about 3.30 Mountain Standard Time, and this is episode 89 of the Enormicast, a conversation with Colorado climber, now California climber, Emily Harrington. But first, I want to announce two new coupon codes for you guys to use in conjunction with the Enormacast to get some climbing stuff, some really cool climbing stuff, as well as support the Enormacast because I will get a little kickback from your purchase. First, I've been talking to Peter W. Gilroy. I want to get the W in there because it's part of his website. But I've been talking to this guy. He's a climber. He's an artist, uh, jewelry designer. Finally met him and saw a bunch of his stuff up in Lander. Totally awesome, primarily titanium, different colors inspired by types of rock as well as climbs and mountain ranges over the world. Anyway, he's excited to uh, do a little advertising and have a coupon code here on the Enormacast. So if you go to peterwgilroy.com, check out his stuff. And uh, if you pick something up, put Enormo in at checkout. You get a 15% discount. And of course, the Enormacast gets a little kickback from that. Very cool, and uh, he's got this really cool trucker hat over there. It's the, uh, what does he call it, the Skyline Flex Fit hat. Andrew Bisharet just talked about it over at Evening Sends. Totally cool. Everybody wanted him up in Landry, sold right out of him. I can't really wear trucker hats, though. You know, the big, tall, flat front. I'm, I'm more of a baseball cap guy, like a straight-up, bent-up, kind of cowboy-style baseball cap. 
Anyway, that doesn't mean you won't look good in it. So go check out uh, peterwgilroy.com. There's men's jewelry, obviously women's jewelry. There's money clips. There's these hats, belt buckles, all sorts of cool stuff. And you support Peter, you're supporting a climber. All right, the other coupon code for you guys is with Phil Wilkes at Belay Specs. Okay, these are the crazy glasses. Everybody's seen them by now. They came on the scene a few, a couple few years ago. Mostly the Euros would come over and have them. And of course, there's nothing we like to do in the U.S. more than make fun of Euros. So they didn't catch on right away, but now they're starting to catch on. And this is another product that I actually use. I love them. I was a little skeptical at first. I think most people are. When they put them on, they kind of feel a little weird. But I always tell people, like, if you just do one or two routes, use them for a couple easy routes, and your brain will sort of like wrap themselves around what it means to look in and out of those prisms because pretty soon, no problem. Doesn't bother me at all. A thing I like about Belay Specs, and they were the first ones I ever tried, and I've tried some other ones and keep going back to those, is that they've got really good peripheral vision. So it's not like you're locked into the looking straight up kind of thing. You can look around, you can look down at your rope, watch to see if there's a knot in the end of it, look down at your hands, make sure everything's going okay, see the dog walking over to steal your lunch, all that sort of stuff. And still be attentive watching your climber. An attentive belayer is a safe belayer. And I think these things probably help us be a little safer. But it's really all about neck pain or lack thereof. I know many of you are youthful. You can stare straight up into the sky all damn day. But the rest of us, after years of doing it, our necks hurt like hell. That's what these belay specs are for. Phil makes them here in the U.S. It's just him. I think he's just the guy putting them together. So here's another way to support a little guy, a climber as well. He's got a new design to them that make them fit just a little bit better and stay on your head a little bit better. And he's also got a smaller case with a clip-in loop. So kind of a new design here for the fall. So go check that out. It's at belayspecs.com and the coupon code, which will essentially get you free shipping and get the cast. A little kickback is EnormoCast. So there you have it. Enormo, lowercase, if that matters. Does it matter? It might matter. Lowercase, Enormo, at PeterWGilroy.com for a discount on amazing jewelry and accessories. And EnormoCast, all caps, if that matters. Does it matter? It might matter. EnormoCast over at BelaySpecs.com for a discount and get the EnormoCast something. So appreciate you guys supporting them and supporting me. Okay, let's get to the show with Emily Harrington. Emily Harrington has been uh, on the scene here in Colorado for a long time. She was one of the early really good gym rat turned sport climbers, uh, climbed up here in Rifle year after year. I kind of knew her. We'd met a number of times. We have uh, mutual friends. But the interesting thing about Emily is that though she climbed really, really hard in rifle, climbing 514 on a number of occasions, you know, I didn't always pay that much attention to her or a lot of these sort of younger out of the gym, straight to sport climbing climbers, because I'm always interested in who they're going to become once they get out of that mode of having coaches and climbing teams and parents and all these other sort of external influences trying to create them into a climber because a lot of kids play all sorts of sports through high school, through middle school, and even through college. And then once they get out, it's over because A, they don't have an opportunity to do it. But I think more so that that external pressure, that external organizer 
leaves the scene and they have to decide whether they want to just keep doing it because they love it or was it something that they were doing because of all these external pressures to keep doing it. So I was glad to catch up with Emily because Emily created this foundation as a gym climber, as a sport climber, and now she's taken it all over the world, including climbing in the Himalaya. Many people know that she climbed Everest, but what she don't probably know is that she's on Makalu as we speak. She also climbed El Cap this year, free climbed uh, the Golden Gate, has been learning a lot about trad climbing, obviously. Takes a little bit to climb that thing. So here's this girl who's found her true inner love for the mountains. She moved from Boulder to California, so she's spanning that gap as well. So yeah, I was pretty impressed, and it was exciting to talk to her and find out kind of the inside story about her motivation to climb Mount Everest, which was an odd sort of arc for a gym to sport climber. It's kind of strange for me to put it out right now because Emily is on Makalu and fairly out of touch. It's always nice when athletes will promote these things when I put them out. But I want you guys to all start checking out what she's doing over there because she's going to be putting out updates. So hopefully you can go catch up with Emily and find out how she's doing on Makalu. Small expedition. Hopefully we can all wish her well and she returns safe and sound to find out that her enormous cast has made her a total superstar. Low these past few months, I've been trying to get you, the listener, to support the Enormacast by buying new climbing shoes from Sportiva. But I realize that many of you have some trod and true kicks, filthy, held together by shoe goo, and they'll probably have to pry them from your cold, gnarled, calloused feet when your heart finally gives out on you while you're soloing the Enormadome or whatever. But did you feel that chill in the air this morning? That coolness that'll start to draw the masochists from their dark, dry-tooling lairs. Well, Sportiva makes mountain boots, fruit boots, or if you're a Honold, crampon-ready sneakers to get you up the gnarliest, iciest project your semi-dormant limbic cortex has dreamed up over the happy days of summer. So it's probably time to start shopping for those if rock climbing is just too fun for you. And they've got trail running shoes for your pre-masochism masochism. And for y'all with the sunnier disposition, they've got great colorful crag wear for those last warm days before winter sweeps you under its icy rug. So if you want to support the Enormacast, but you don't have any need for finely crafted, high-performing climbing shoes, then go check out their other wares. They've got boots for hiking, ice climbing, mountain climbing. They've got shoes for running, for hiking, probably for dancing even, and rock climbing apparel as well. So go check it out, Sportiva.com, or your nearest outdoor retailer, the Enormacast and Sportiva, like two bros in a bivy sack. It's kind of fun. We just show up in Salt Lake and are like high rollers. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I I feel like a high roller just because I stay in a hotel. Like, totally. I mean, it's like... on somebody's couch or whatever. It's so hard to get a hotel room here. Yeah. I'm actually not going to mention what t- hotel I'm in this time because I, I usually do, but they've got enough free advertisement from me. Um, <laughs> so we're in an undisclosed location in Salt Lake City. I'm sitting with Emily Harrington, who um, is a, a local homegirl from Colorado. And uh, we've known each other sort of peripherally, I think, by name and maybe mostly through a lot of mutual friends. Um, and you've been climbing uh, up it, by my place for, uh, I mean, probably since you were a climber up by in Rifle. Yeah. Um, so we've 
you know, just been around one another for quite a long time. So welcome to the Enormacast. Uh, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> anyway, we're here. It is actually um, cleaning lady hour. And so if there's vacuuming going on outside and stuff, that's just part of the show. That's what, what happens here. <laughs> um, I kind of wanted to ask you to start. Oh, how are you doing? How about I'm doing great. Good. Yeah, I'm doing awesome. Having fun in Salt Lake. Yeah, you lucked out and got to see uh, Book of Mormon here last night. Yes, I did. Yeah, and you can highly recommend it. It was incredible. I would highly recommend it, yeah. Awesome. Um, and we talked earlier about how you're driving nice cars because you, you've got a, an excellent hookup out of Provo here. So I kind of wanted to start with that. Like, you started out as a sport climber. You, you've gone into mountaineering to a certain extent. You sort of seem to have refound skiing. Um, yeah. You probably grew up a skier living in... In, I did. I grew up. I actually range. grew up racing. Okay. When I was a kid, I started skiing when I was two years old. Okay, two years old. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and your dad is something of a storied uh, outdoor sports enthusiast. Yes, I would say he's an avid outdoor sports enthusiast. He's very enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he's kind of legendary for that in certain circles, uh, like in rifle and whatnot. So let's start actually kind of at the other end of things that I usually start at. Um, but what's your life looking like now? I mean, what are your interests? Uh, where are you at? You know, and then we'll kind of work backwards from there, I think. Okay. So right now I'm living in Squaw Valley, California, mm-hmm. which is near Lake Tahoe. And uh, I've had a pretty interesting year. I've, over the course of the last few years, I've sort of transformed into a different type of climber, as you mentioned. And I decided that this year, 2015, I wanted to accomplish four goals in each of the four disciplines of climbing that I'm passionate about. So I had this goal earlier in the year to make finals at Sport Climbing Nationals, which is a competition that I've won five times. Uh, but obviously now it's it's a lot different and uh all the competitors are like 15 and they're super strong i actually missed finals by one place um which which sucked (laughs) but it was it was still fun and uh my second goal was to free climb a route on el cap in yosemite i just started learning how to trad climb and climb on granite about three years ago so but it's always been in my mind that i wanted to do that and i actually accomplished that uh End of May this year. Right on. Which I was so, so proud of. And you did Golden Gate. I did. I did. I climbed Golden Gate. Killer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was was amazing. I I got super lucky, I think, in a lot of ways. (laughs) How so? Just the weather worked out really well, and I had amazing partners and mentors the entire time. Mm -hmm. And I was able to just sort of spend the season there cutting my teeth on it. I wrapped in from the top a lot and just, like, worked the hard pitches. And... Yeah, I mean, I climbed to Cedar Wright at the okay. beginning for a while. He sort of educated me on off-width climbing and top-roped the monster off-width once with him before I went for the send. Um, yeah, so it was a great spring in Yosemite. It was my first season there. And then after that, I went on a ski mountaineering trip to Ecuador, tried to climb and ski uh, some volcanoes down there. Uh, we failed miserably, but it was like <laughs> the best trip of my life because Ecuador was an, it's an amazing country. Uh, but we just got hammered by wind, and we ended up not summoning, and I never put my skis on, which is fine. Right. <laughs> I'll go back next year. And uh, now I'm busy training and preparing for an expedition to the Himalaya next week. Okay. I'm going to Makalu, which is the fifth tallest peak in the world. Uh-huh. Uh, it'll be my second 8,000-meter peak, and I'm going with a team of ski mountaineers. So okay. their objective is to ski from the summit 
uh, I am bringing my skis, but I'm not totally prepared to ski from the summit just because I, I haven't been in this world for that long. Right. So, um, my, my objective is to climb it without oxygen. Actually. Okay. So as long as we're on the Himalayan thing, let's go to the Everest thing. You got invited originally, right? To, with the North Face team. And how long ago was that actually? That was in 2012. Okay. Again, one of the ways we know each other to a certain extent is through mutual friends. Mm -hmm. And so when, you know, this whole thing came down a couple years ago that Emily was going to go climb Mount Everest, among your friends, uh, there was some concern um, to a certain extent, you know, like, what? Like, little Emily that climbs in, in rifle and like is going to go climb Mount Everest like what the hell kind of I mean I, I don't know what the reaction in your camp was or in your family or anything like that but can you sort of talk to me about this invite that came down the pipe and then what you thought and what your decision making process was to go to suddenly uh, I guess be asked to go into this entirely different world that's not entirely uh, you know safe or state or um, easy to do so yeah can you sort of bring me back to that yeah. So, I mean, it was a huge departure from anything I'd ever done before and came as a complete shock to me, actually, when Conrad asked me if I would be interested in climbing Mount Everest. And, you know, growing up in the climbing community, we all know what what core climbers think of Mount Everest. Right. I mean, I grew up at age 12 hearing that it was a mountain just for rich people to get dragged up and if you had enough money you could do it and that it wasn't for real climbers and that it wasn't difficult and that it was just a walk and so i had it in my mind that mount everest was never anything i wanted to do mm -hmm. ever um it just seemed like completely silly to me so when conrad asked me and conrad's someone i respect i've always respected him um i think he's a total legend i, I think he's a wonderful person and so when he came to me with this idea of sort of mentoring me up Mount Everest along with a, an entire team, I was I was intrigued. And at first I was like, well, I, I really don't think that I'm into this. Like, I don't I don't think this is my thing. But I was being asked to climb Mount Everest by Conrad Inker. And I mean, it's not an opportunity that comes along very often. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I guess... I, I guess I had the forethought to realize that maybe it would be different than I thought. You know, maybe it would be a different experience than than I always thought it would be, and maybe it wouldn't be, you know, as as bad or as commercialized or as awful as I had it in my head. And so I decided to go. I agreed, and I trusted Conrad. I think that was the biggest thing was I really trusted him. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't think that I didn't think that he would put me in any sort of unnecessary risk um, but certainly climbing Mount Everest has inherent risk as we all know sure um, especially recently uh, yeah so I agreed to go and that actually the invitation came in like 2010 so it was two years of planning and sort of going back and forth of maybe we won't go maybe we will go I don't know um, so it wasn't like quite as shocking when I announced it whatever six months before I left mm -hmm. um, I think as most people were I definitely discussed it a lot with my family and, uh, yeah, decided, decided to go. And I also, in 2012 or in 2011, I went to Nepal and traveled to Forte, which is a village on the way to Everest in the Kumbu Valley. And I taught climbing skills to Sherpa 
at the Kumbu Climbing Center okay. with Conrad. Right. And so I think maybe that was sort of one of the turning points in his mind. Like, oh, she is interested in this. She does love it. I totally fell in love with the culture and the people and just the way of life there. It was really fascinating to me. And I got a lot out of it. And so I think maybe in Conrad's head, he thought I would enjoy an experience like attempting to climb Mount Everest. <laughs> uh-huh. So then, I mean, did you like ever throw a switch into training in any way? I mean, what was that looking like? I honestly, I didn't really. I I didn't know what to do. I uh-huh. didn't know how to prepare for it. And I still had it in my head like, oh, I'm a climber. You know, I know how to ice climb. I know how to like rock climb. I, people who don't climb at all can do this so i should be able to do it i think i went into it with a little bit of an arrogant attitude of you know i should be able to do this like right. it's just mount everest <laughs> I, I know that's completely ridiculous to say to normal people but um i think that was in my head so i didn't really train i didn't do anything particular um I just sort of went there. <laughs> right. So what, I mean, you guys go there, you show up at base camp for the first time. I mean, you know, like I said, I, I am also one of these people in that camp of just like, I'll never go do that. Mm-hmm. And it looks to me like a complete shit show and mm-hmm. a mess and, mm-hmm. you know, like the opposite of what I would want out of mm-hmm. a mountain experience. But you were there. So what 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 was your impression in, in, in terms of showing up there, getting ready to go? Like... You sound to me like you, you you had sort of this conversion to a certain extent, and you know you're going to go up Makalu hopefully in a few weeks. So you found some sort of like inspiration in it all. So what was it like to show up at base camp in, in terms of your expectations versus what you saw? Uh, well, I showed up to base camp and I was really sick. Actually, I had I had like a cold or something, but at seventeen thousand five hundred feet. I just wasn't recovering well. Mm-hmm. I was super sick for two weeks, probably. Couldn't couldn't recover, could barely walk across camp. And in my head, I was like, well, it's over. I'm done. I'm going home. You know, I haven't even set foot on the mountain. And I just immediately started to realize how t- difficult it is to be in the mountains, even to just exist. Right. Um, once you get sick, it's really hard to recover. Altitude altitude is heinous it sucks and it's scary and it does things to you that you don't understand and that you've never felt before and you know i just i think i was completely in shock and scared and didn't really know what to do and as you said everest is a shit show i mean it's it's wild how many people migrate there every season even after all the tragedy that there's been but i have a real love-hate relationship with it uh-huh. uh, after the fact now, just because my boyfriend is a mountain guide. He works on Everest every season. So I, I've, I've learned a lot about it since that year. And, you know, there's a lot of really good things about it. And there's a lot of really awful things and things that need to change. But that's like a whole nother conversation. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think throughout the experience, I... I gained this appreciation for being in the mountains, even okay. though it was a total shit show. There was loads of people, you know, summit day. I just waited in line behind people on fixed lines, which is just not my idea of, you know, how I want to explore the mountains. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, it was very much an introduction for me. You know, it was I couldn't have done anything more than that. I couldn't have done it in any purer way you know i wasn't going to climb it without oxygen i wasn't going to climb it without sherpa support or without fixed lines that was all i was capable of doing sure and i pushed myself really hard and i definitely gained a lot of respect for people who go there 
uh, without like going through the, you know, we'd spend the whole day on the, on the totally. process, but talk, talk a little bit about that summit day then. I mean, you, you know, so you, you, you recovered obviously to a certain extent from, from your illness or at least enough to, to march up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what did the summit day look like? I mean, what is that for you personally, you know, your feelings and, and, you know, you're, you're, you're up there and, you know, you're looking at it becoming, you know, reality. Yeah. Which you probably had, you know, doubts from the day you stepped foot in the, in base camp or even got on the plane. Yeah. So what did that look like to you when you, uh, on summit day, so to speak? So summit day came probably a month and a half after I recovered from being sick. So it was a long expedition. So you were there like forever on base camp. I was like, there for, for so long. <laughs> it was crazy. Six weeks. Yeah. We, I mean, we like, <laughs> going to the disco and the, in the big tent and oh like, yeah. All right. All of that, all of that happened. Like anything you can imagine to happen at Everest base camp actually happened. Um, but we did like rotations, acclimatization rotations. Mm-hmm. We probably did four rotations before we went for our summit push. So I'd been up and down the mountain a lot and been through a lot emotionally, uh, just personally and with the team and everything. And so summit day came and it was sort of like, I felt like I'd been through the ringer already. You know, there was just so much going on and it was my first experience with death in the mountains. People had already died in the previous summit, summit bid. Um, not from, from your group, not but, from our group, but just people other, you know, I mean, you must yeah. get to like, you know, it becomes sort of this weird little town down there. It, so. it becomes a total small community. And then, yeah. And I, I mean, that year was actually fair, relatively safe mm-hmm. um, compared to recent years. Uh, but on summit day, during the previous summit push, a few people did die, uh, mainly due to their own, you know, their their own ambition. Mm-hmm. They didn't turn around uh, when they should have, and they died on the way down, ran out of oxygen, you know, all that stuff that tends to happen up there. Um, so summit day was it was wild. It was very surreal. I sometimes I try to think back on it, and I can't totally remember what it was like. Um, but I just remember really wanting it to be over and I was just sort of on autopilot, mm-hmm. like just one step in front of the other. That's how it had been the whole time. And so I would just walk one step in front of the other. I remember, I remember actually passing people a lot. Like it got to the point where I just started unclipping from the fixed lines and just like hand over hand around going around people. Cause everyone was so slow. I remember walking over dead bodies from the previous summit bid, uh, which was just bizarre and strange to do. Yeah. Um, and then I, I remember being on the summit and I remember just kind of being like, okay, like, <laughs> this is it. Here we are. This is what I came here to do. But in the end, it didn't really feel like that's why I was there. You know, you know, it's the whole, like, it's all about the journey thing. <laughs> oh, right, right. Okay. <laughs> I know. I got up there. I spent 20 minutes up there. It was super cold. I took some photos of my iPhone and then I was like, I want to get the hell out of here. Right. And so came down. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm definitely not one of those people that like, will push and push and push just to get to the summit. Like I'm mm-hmm. very aware of the fact that you have to go back down. Right. And I think I, re- I remember being mostly stressed about getting down. Yeah. Well, I mean, stepping over dead bodies will do yeah. that to you. Right. Yep. Um, it, and that's such a bizarre, I mean, just another like weird, bizarre thing is that to me is that, I mean, obviously there's, there's a, a recovery issue you know, mm-hmm. and those, so those bodies tend to stay up there for a long time. Uh, but at the same time, you're seeing this like crowded, it's like crowded with people. And yet 
and yet you hear about how hard it would be to recover these bodies and it like it's another one of those things that just doesn't make sense but you know the ambition to be up there is is in and of itself about summiting and not about you know I don't know if wasting your time is the right word, but spending your time dealing with these other things that are up mm-hmm. there. But yeah, it just is. I mean, it's just such this weird mix of, uh, of, I, they're not exactly paradoxes, but, um, just, I think contradictions in sort of human character in a weird way, you know, like just yeah. like a, kind of this weird mess, uh, it, you know, it is. I keep saying that Everest is like, just this tiny little it's just this tiny little example of humanity mm-hmm. you know and all of these things go on there there's there's it's just so intense right and there's a there is death and you know there's a lot of like cultural issues you have all these cultures like coming together in this third world country essentially right. and you know the government is really incapable of dealing with it and you have a lot of businesses and a lot of money and you have incredibly wealthy people and incredibly poor people. And it's just it's just very interesting. It's totally fascinating. And right. I think there's a lot of interesting conversations to come out of it. And it's not all bad. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't believe that. Um, but there's a lot of lessons, I think, that can be that can come from it. So you are going to go back to the Himalaya to uh, yeah. hopefully different experience. What are you looking for um, in terms of getting back and climbing something that's a little more off the beaten path, even though it's still an 8,000 meter peak. So, um, it still has that allure. Yeah. Uh, so what, what are you looking for different this time? Do you think? Well, I, I think it's going to be completely different for one. Um, Makalu is far less popular mountain. Uh, it's had fewer than 300 summits throughout history compared to Everest is, which has like 4,000 summits. Right. And this year in particular is interesting because of the earthquake. Uh, they're saying that, Climbing in the Himalaya is down by 80%. Mm-hmm. And right now, as of right now, we're going to be the only team on the mountain. Oh, wow. Which is really, it's cool. But that also means that uh, the work of f- fixing ropes and setting the route um, is all up to us. Right. Usually on Everest or other peaks, the teams kind of work together. Um, but this won't be the case. It'll be all up to us. And we have four Sherpa. Okay. Um so, and it, you know, part of the the overarching goal is to sort of encourage people to go back to Nepal because mm-hmm. that's really what that country needs right now after the earthquake is tourism and people to go back there and go trekking and go climbing and experience it. Um, you know, we talk to our Sherpa friends back home and they're all trying to rebuild their houses and right. they really want people to come. They want work. So that's interesting. And then for me personally, I'm hoping to just have gained experience and confidence uh, since 2012, which I know that I have because I've been working on it. Um, but I'm just, I, I just want to, I want to, I just want to experience it again in a different way and in a way that, that I feel is more legitimate. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to try to climb without oxygen because I think that that's a pretty proud way to climb a mountain. Sure. Uh, and I want to bring my skis because I also think that that's just a really cool way to experience a big, big peak. Um, and I'm excited about the team and I'm just excited that, you know, maybe this time I can be a little bit more of a partner instead of just this like wide eyed, like newbie. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Totally understood. How big is the team? Uh, it's just five of us. So it's my boyfriend, Adrian, um, Hilary O'Neill who's a ski mountaineer on the North Face team, Kit Delorier, 
who's a ski also she's like skied Everest and all the seven summits and stuff. And then Jim Morrison, who's a friend from Tahoe, but also a skier. Right. Yeah. And and your Adrian, your boyfriend is like I mean, he's in in a lot of ways one of the probably most experienced Himalayan guys walking around. Yeah, he has a lot of experience. He's skied off of two 8,000-meter peaks and attempted five. Okay. He attempted Makalu in 2012 and skied from 25,000 feet, Okay. So, Right. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, you guys are set up for success. Yeah. Barring all the objective uh, things that go on. In, <laughs> yeah. in any Himalayan expedition. So. Exactly. I mean, it is the big mountains, and I'm totally prepared for anything to happen. I just, you know, obviously the number one thing is just that we all have a great adventure and we come home. So I'm going to circle back around. You know, I asked you a little bit about if your, you know, your family and friends were concerned when you went to Everest. Like, how are they now with, uh, you know, your Himalayan aspirations? <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to be a sport climber. You know, I, I think anybody who's, especially, you know, um, your dad who's so experienced with, with that doesn't really worry about their kids sport climbing. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, driving from Boulder to Rifles is more dangerous probably. But now here here you are, like, have, having aspired to become, I mean, to walk into this world that that's just flat out dangerous. Mm-hmm compared to everything else so is everybody like you know how's everybody doing with that they're just go for it or yeah i think that they've adjusted to the idea Mm -hmm. over the past few years and definitely it's something that we talk about a lot my dad has his own aspirations actually he desperately wants to climb amada blom and he actually went went to uh he went to Nepal in t- 2013, mm-hmm. uh, went to Forte, and was helping build the school for the Kungu Climbing Center. So he has sort of a connection to it now, and he's far more supportive than he was before, and, right. and far less scared, I think. I think he trusts me enough to make good, conservative decisions, and also he trusts Adrian um, to sort of help me through that process. But that said, I mean, it is the mountains, and there are always risks, and there are always hazards, no matter how good you are and how experienced you are. I mean, we all know that. People die every year who mm-hmm. have loads of experience. And for me, it's just it's just been about really questioning if I really want to do it and why I want to do it, and just questioning those motives. You know, is it because I want my career to progress, or is it because... I truly love being in the mountains and I love what I get out of it and I can't imagine living any other way. Uh, so it's, those have definitely been questions that I've asked myself a lot over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I love, as of right now, I'm fully passionate about going into the mountains and exploring them and gaining experience. And it's, it's definitely not about my career or what other people think at this point and I hope it never comes to that right I hope I can like take a step back if if it ever starts moving in that direction um but right now it's it's completely worth it to me and it's really fulfilling and satisfying and I think I'm a fairly conservative person Mm -hmm. just because I I know that I don't have as much experience as most people who who do the things that I'm attempting to do and I lean on my partners a lot for support so you know, I, I feel really good about the risk right. at this point. 
Uh, but I think it's something to always go back and reanalyze every trip or, every, you know, every time you go out there. <laughs> yeah, well, that's I think that's pretty wise for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, I think people hearing this will, will be nodding their head like, OK, she knows what she's doing, um, hopefully. So what about like a father, daughter, Amit Blom 2017 or something like that? <laughs> he he desperately wants to. Okay. I mean, he he wants to do everything. He wants to climb El Cap. Uh, we talked about going to Antarctica and go ski touring. Mm-hmm. And I think we're actually just going to go on a sport climbing trip to Spain this year, okay, which I'm cool. super excited about. Uh, right. right when I get back from Nepal, I'm going to go to Boulder and train, and then we're going to go uh, to Spain and go climbing. <laughs> I just had this sort of image of like, of like uh, your dad sitting back and like, folding his arms and realizing that all of his hard work has come to fruition. <laughs> He's like, I finally like created my guide. Uh, yeah. you know, it's like, I've been working on this since she was two. Totally. <laughs> I mean, he came, he came to Tahoe this winter and we took him, we took him ski touring for the first time right. and he like skinned up 2000 vertical feet right. and he was so excited. He wouldn't stop talking about it. And then he came just two weeks ago and he went to Tuolumne and we went and climbed this route called the third pillar of Dana. Mm-hmm. It's like super classic high Sierra route. And he followed every pitch and he sent it all nice. on top rope. And he was like ecstatic. Like it was very much at his limit. He had to try super hard and he got to the top just with the biggest smile on his face. And he still tells me it's, it was like the best day of his life. So we definitely have to do some more things like that just because at this point in my, in my life, I'm really enjoying like going on those adventures with my dad. Cool. Um, it's been, it's been awesome. I just feel super lucky to have a dad that is stoked. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Super stoked. Well, cool. I'm going to kind of, again, let's go back, back around. You mentioned this word career. I'm going to sort of conjecture and you can, you can say yes or no, whatever. Um, you know, this this kind of trajectory of like the gym climber coming out of and becoming a sport climber, especially as a young kid, is is pretty common right now. You know, you weren't sort of on the very first wave of that, but but an early kind of wave of of this like kids coming out of the gym crushing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just kind of like that. That's kind of who you were at the time, coming out of Boulder and and stuff like that. At what point did you sort of start to think about? This climbing thing is really fun and I'm really good at it, but what if I could have a career with it? What if I could become sort of this lifelong climber that has some foot in the professional world? Um, do you remember or was there a transition or, or anything like that that you can sort of point to when that kind of occurred to you? Yeah, I, it was right when I graduated from the University of Colorado. Uh, I was 20 years old and I was doing a lot of competitions, a lot of World Cups, and I was getting to the point where I was kind of like, oh, they're kind of all the same, and my motivation is lacking, and I don't really know what to do, and, you know, I just, I was sort of plateauing and stagnating a bit, and uh, that was actually when I got a call from the North Face, and they were interested in me bringing me on as an athlete, and that's when I started realizing, I started seeing who was who else was on the team, you know, these people who were adults like real adults with families and you know they're professional athletes and they're still making it work and i just remember and they're traveling all over the world and i just remember thinking maybe this is something that i could make work i didn't know where i was going to take it you know i didn't think i was going to climb mountains or even ice climb or do anything like that but i was thinking maybe i could you know i could go on trips with other athletes and i could go on expeditions and this could be cool for a little while at least. So I gave it a shot. You know, I signed on with the North Face and started going on trips. 
And uh, actually, right before I got that call, I was studying for the LSAT. So my plan was to go to law school. Okay. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you that, what the other, yeah. other path could have been or could be. Still. Yeah. So I studied international affairs in college and with an emphasis on uh, politics in sub-Saharan Africa, which is sort of random, but I was interested in it. And my, my idea was to go to law school and study human rights and stuff like that. So who knows? Maybe someday. <laughs> oh, certainly. Yeah. No, that's something that can easily come back around. Yeah. At that point, like, was your your outdoor climbing or whatnot limited to pretty much to sport climbing? And so you've you've got this four goal thing we started with, you know, and you've become this, or at least you're trying to become in a lot of ways, a super all around climber. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you have a vision of that when you first started, you know, got out of college and were on the North Face team? Or did you just not really know what was going to happen with your climbing in terms of that? Honestly, I didn't I didn't really know what was going to happen with my climbing. I was definitely still very much having that tunnel vision about sport climbing that that was like the only thing that I wanted to do. That was the only thing that I could do well. Uh and so I I, I think I was I think I was a little bit lost actually. Okay. I just didn't really know. But honestly, I I'd always had uh this dream of of free climbing El Cap. Um I grew up hanging out with Beth Rodden and Tommy Caldwell and I just remember and my coach was Justin Shong who climbed a free climbed a lot on El Cap and I just remember that hearing their stories and hearing them talk about it and that was definitely something I had in my mind as something I wanted to accomplish in my climbing eventually and even before I actually knew what it meant um, I I honestly had no idea what the process entailed I was just like that's something that I I should do everyone should do that sure So what did the process entail? You actually pulled it off this year. I did. Um, yeah. So tell me about that. Let's talk a little bit about Freenel Kappa's. You know, we'll go down some of these goals that you you achieved yeah. and, and didn't achieve. Um, but yeah. So what did that look like in terms of, of picking a route or, you know, putting yourself in the hands of some of these other folks? And I mean, you, you mentioned being lucky with the weather and, and sort of lucky to have mentors mm-hmm. um, in Right away in my brain, I was just like, no, that's not luck. You know, that, that's about, you know, that's about having cultivated a, a community, you know, and I'm sure that these mentors and these people flock to, to help you out mm-hmm. because you've, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, it's, it, I realize it's a, it's a certain level of humility to, to say some, say that. And yeah. I, I totally appreciate that. But what I'm trying to say is that, you know, when you sort of are this, positive energy in this this person who climbs with that kind of energy then people want to come and and help you make these these accomplishments uh happen you know yeah i guess that's true and that's that's exactly what happened actually i um i moved to to california right after i got home from everest and that was definitely a transition point for me i just wanted things to change and that's when i met my boyfriend as well and that's when I started to uh, explore climbing on granite and trad climbing. Mm-hmm. And so it took about three years. And I just, I fully epicked throughout the process of like learning how to place gear, how to trust gear, how to crack climb, how to, everything was really, really scary and intimidating and very humbling for me. Um, I, you know, I, up until a year and a half ago, I couldn't even climb five, nine crack. I just couldn't, I couldn't envision it i couldn't i didn't have the confidence i didn't understand it and uh so having this goal of free climbing el cap just felt it felt massive and it felt Mm -hmm. daunting but i just i just kind of went for it this year i was like i'm gonna go there i'm gonna work on it i recruited cedar who 
was amazing and super helpful. And we just, we just quested up there and wrapped down and I started playing around on the moves and, um, yeah, we spent all of May, I spent all of May essentially just kind of like swinging around up there, getting used to being up high, getting used to the exposure. Uh, I'd climbed a couple other big routes in the Sierra before that, but nothing like the size of El Cap. And, uh, and then in the end, Cedar decided that he wasn't psyched to go for the send. It was just, he just wasn't into it. And the weather was kind of bad. And it just so happened that Adrian had been trying to guide Everest, but because of the earthquake, everything was canceled. So he came home and he, you know, he'd been through a lot, I think emotionally and stuff. And he just wanted to like go do something cool. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, I'll Jumar up El Cap behind you. I was like, all right, sweet. (laughs) Let's give it a shot. Right. Um, so we put a lot of time into learning how to haul and learning how to set up a portal edge and stuff. And yeah, we just went for it. Spent six days. So you did you did a, like a six day push freeing all the mm-hmm. pitches. Yep. And I led all the pitches because he uh, he'd just gotten back from Everest and was not in rock climbing shape at sure. all. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's um, fine too. I mean, yeah. And uh, he was totally. I mean, that's why I say I was lucky because I had a partner who. It was basically all about me. Like mm-hmm. normally when you're, I mean, maybe not normally, but in my head, I thought that me and my partner would be like swinging leads and we'd both be trying to send and it would be a little bit more like, you know, like Tommy and Kevin on the Dawn Wall. Right. You know, if one person wasn't doing it, you'd have to wait and it'd be like this team effort, um, which I guess it still was a team effort, but it was very much more about me sending. Right. Um, so all of the, all of the attention was on me, but then again, all the pressure was on me as well. Uh-huh. So goes both ways right but i mean you know it's like pressure is an interesting interesting word because i mean the truth is is that it's all it's gotta all be internal Mm -hmm. i mean because you know there's so i guess there's sort of some sort of vision in the outside world that there's this there's this massive pressure on some on these professional climbers to to uh to get these certain things done and like Mm -hmm. and i think that uh Maybe in in the long term, obviously, if you want to, for some climbers, not everybody, you want to stay, you know, on the team or whatever year after year after year. You you, you have to create media, and one mm-hmm. way to create media is to to do hard climbs. But I think it's at least in my experience, more with friends and people I know, there doesn't seem to be this any sort of like you know here's these goals and if you don't get them done you know it's like we're not sending your check this year or whatever like none of that really goes on so it was all internal pressure so where i mean talk about you as a climber Mm -hmm. um as this person who's obviously motivated to get these things done uh a little bit about your personality like are you someone who 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 is hard on themselves in terms of achieving or failing um on certain goals uh you know what does that internal pressure look like because i imagine adrian you know didn't give a shit whether you freed it or not i mean other than hoping you would for your own mm-hmm. you know positive reinforcement but it's not like he was going to stomp off the top of el cap yeah. you know you didn't free that bitch like you hung on that pizza and i saw you you know so where is that pressure coming from and, and what is it in your personality that drives you to do all this stuff you know i think i just like i like having goals and i like pushing myself outside of my comfort zone and I put I put a lot of time and energy into into learning this style of climbing the last few years and I felt like I was ready to attempt something big and you know honestly I didn't I didn't know if I could do it when I set when I stepped off the ground and I was sort of okay with that 
but once you once you get close or once you're getting close that's when i start to feel this sort of like i guess yeah maybe it's pressure but it's something else it's just this sort of like euphoria of what if i do it what what would it be like if I did it, you know? And and you just, I just like crave that achievement Mm -hmm. within me. Um, and I think that's more what it was. It was like, as I got closer and closer and as I started accomplishing things and sending pitches that I didn't know that they were possible, I just wanted more, Mm -hmm. you know, like once I surprised myself and sent the monster and just battled and toiled and like tore my back to shreds, I was like, Oh, like, I can totally do this. And I think that was the, that was the thing. I knew that I could do it and I didn't want to let myself down. Right. You know, I just wanted to, I wanted to accomplish what I knew that I could. Um, you know, if I'd gotten totally shut down, I think it would have been just, I think it would have been a little bit different. I would have been more relaxed about things. Right. Um, but the fact that I knew I was capable was what, was what caused the pressure. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of wild because anyone who even sport climbs knows about sort of red point jitters and like, yeah. oh, I'm you know you're in the middle of the pitch and you know you're sitting beneath the crux or or you're above the crux and you're like, okay, I just got to make the change, and like freeing all cap is like six days of that. Exactly. You know, the higher you get, and the more it happens because you're just like, well, but then there's that one move on that one, even sometimes like on that one 511 pitch that's not easy, oh, yeah. you know, and it's like, I could just slip off of that and like I'm running out of energy. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting more tired every day. And like, yeah. I know that those sorts of pressures, but it's funny because, you know, you you mentioned climbing the monster off with and feeling good about that, but you're, I mean, you're like, not quite halfway at that point or no yeah so it's like you know <laughs> not, not that's like all. one moment of achievement it's also pretty classic in that um you know again with your background as a gym to sport climber to track climber you know once again those monster offwits like represent this really weird problem for oh like, yeah early trad climbers you know and I, they're also famous for like shutting down you know 514 euro climbers who who suddenly find themselves like completely stuck inside of what's like 11 b or c or something like that it's yeah a it's grade. a 511 off yeah. with i guess yeah so it's kind of funny because you're, like, <laughs> you, you're sort of fitting into that like stereotype of like there's your problem and then i mean there's there's 13 513 pitches on that yeah there's higher. like four or five thirteen but it's funny because like there, oh yeah at least like if i get through this 511 off with then you know I'm like golden above, so yeah. I just, I just have no. I couldn't understand how to climb it. Is the thing. Mm-hmm. Like I just kept being like, there has to be a way that makes this not so hard. But I couldn't figure it out, and so I just kept like scraping my way up it. And it was sort of like, you know, two steps forward, one step back. Like I would inch my way up a couple inches, and then I'd like slide back mm-hmm. down, mm-hmm. and I could just feel the blood like soaking through and. I was just, and then I got really thirsty because I was there for two and a half hours. Right. And, and then I just was like, I can, I'll never be able to try this again. Like if I fall, I will never be able to get back up here. Right. And so I, I knew I had to do it at that time. And so when I got through it, I was like, okay, I, I know how to face climb sure. from here on out. Right. So I think I can do this, you know, and, and I had learned how to crack climb at that point, but the climbing off with is just like a whole different weird thing. That's not really climbing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Well, it's funny because there's like a, I mean, it sounds sort of, sort of cliche or whatever, but there's like this Tao kind of thing to climbing off with. Like mm-hmm. it, it appears as though you're going to have to just go and attack it and like, just 
completely destroy yourself. But especially those ones, um, that style of sort of almost squeeze chimney size, like it's more of just like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to like be okay with what you just said. Like I'm going to go up and then I am going to come back down, Mm -hmm. but I'm only going to come back down half of what I went Mm -hmm. up. And if that, we can continue that. Exactly. We'll eventually make it to the anchors, you know. And it's just kind of funny because so many people have had so many problems with those those fucking monster off whisks. Like, They're awful. Yeah. But, <laughs> so you sort of like slingshotted yourself up up on the rest of the, the route, or were you still like, you know? I mean, there were still nervous, so yeah. many question marks after that point. Uh, right above that, there's this 12C down climb slab pitch mm-hmm. that I couldn't do. Cedar and I went up there and tried it, and I just like couldn't do any of it. Again, I was just confused. I was like, I never down climb a slab right. on non holds, and so that was another like that was the very next morning that I went up there, and but it was totally opposite of what I had just done. Right, it's just like a 40 foot pitch, and you're on top rope because you're down climbing, mm-hmm. and there's just no holds, and it's just about like standing and being patient. And, uh, I, I got super pissed actually, because I just couldn't, I just couldn't figure it out. And I was like, how is this possible? How is a down climb going to shut me down on El Cap? I got through the off width. Now it's, now it's a down climb. Uh, and then like something just clicked all of a sudden. And I was like, I just sort of like did the move and I was like, oh, okay. Like I figured out the body position. It was just really subtle. And, uh, then I sent it the next try. And then after that, it was just physical basically just super i mean the it was just hard pitches but i knew i was capable and i had to take a rest day because i split my fingertip on the hardest pitch and that too was like a huge mental barrier to overcome but that was a little bit more like sport climbing right like it's just hard climbing and i just needed to get through it Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean i wouldn't say any pitch on on that route or on l cap is is easy uh they're all just like either weird or like confusing or super physical. Yeah. It's a lot of physical climbing <laughs> uh, on the bottom half of that, yeah. you know, which is primarily five eleven. Yeah. Like, it's all five eleven, really up till fat past, yeah. the, but it's all, yeah, it's all really physical climbing. Super sure. physical. So I always just, you know, you know, call it working man's climbing. It is it's fully blue collar working person's climbing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're just like, okay, I'm gonna have to get, you know, it's five ten D, but I'm going to have to like, really yeah. try and use my shoulder my back and you know hips and yeah. like yeah so yeah i mean it's it's cool because it's 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 a, a a strategic game too of of keeping enough energy mm-hmm. you know and having days later still going you know yeah. uh in a way that like you just said if you're sport climbing you take a day off exactly you, know, you go home two. you rest your skin right. and yeah you just don't have that option up yeah, there and so, so and that's what I enjoyed a lot about it, to be honest. Like, mm-hmm. it, there was just so many other elements, and uh, it was much more like an endurance-type thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you just had to have the mental and physical stamina to keep going and wake up every morning and be super sore, but still, like, try to throw down. Right. <laughs> cool. Well, um, let me ask you kind of like a, a bigger sort of philosophical question. The podcast, the normal cast, and, and my sort of dedication to this is, I always talk about how it's like, about not just climbing and, and, you know, the grades and all that achievement, but it's really about this community that I sort of really believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as you were kind of coming up and climbing again, we're going to go sort of back and, and, uh, was your sort of like social 
sort of circle, you know, climbing from an early age? Or was, you know, were you like a high school kid like anybody else, like running around and, you know, partying and doing all those sorts of things? Or was it, were you kind of like immersed in the climbing community pretty quickly as a kid? I almost instantly became immersed in the climbing community. I joined the junior climbing team when I was 10 years old, and I, I really never looked back. I quit ski racing uh, after two years, and just in Boulder, it's just so easy to like just be cultivated and like brought into that fold, mm-hmm. especially as a kid. And so for, from a very young age, I remember driving to the trade show in Tommy and Beth's van right. and like spending the weekend with them. And, you know, I, I just had all of, and everyone is always older than me. And, you know, it's, it was this very interesting community to grow up in and I totally embraced it. And I think my parents did as well. You know, my dad's always been very much a part of that community and it became my entire childhood, essentially like always at the gym, then going to rifle, uh, with the junior team, you know, I, I made all of my friends through climbing and that's, that's my community that's still there in Boulder. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I didn't have many friends in high school. I definitely just did high school and I just did college just to do it. Um, just for, you know, to get the grades and to graduate, but everything else was about climbing. That was who I was. Mm-hmm. So I have a question actually that I, I, I've, I don't think I've really ever asked anybody this, um, you know, because I'm so like rah rah rah. The climbing community is great, and and what a great place to be. But have you ever have you ever sort of uh, you know in your darkest hours like said, "Gosh, I, I wonder if there's anything else out there, and have I limited myself, you know, just being so insulated in this climbing community from such a young age." Um, is it, I mean, maybe it hasn't occurred to you, so I'm not, I'm not conjecturing that this has actually happened, but have you ever sort of thought, well, what if I had done, well, or is there, are there things out there that I, I need to get to, or, or I'm missing out on having, cause it's such an, I'm the same way. I'm like, you know, I joke, like, uh, you know, people are like, do you know this person? I'm like, are they a climber? Yeah, exactly. And they're like, no. And I was like, then probably not. You know, it's like, I'm like, and it, it's not 100% true, but it's pretty true. Yeah. Know? And so, yeah, so I don't know. Do you have, ever think about that? All the time, actually. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so I've, I've found something. Yeah, nice. you did. I, uh, you know, I, I don't regret anything at all. Um, but definitely, I think back to like, well, what if I'd made friends in college? Like, what if I was one of those people that like had college friends who I went, you know, like one of those people, you know, those people, those weird people <laughs> that like made friends in college. Yeah, that like hung out and did other things, and you know, I do think of that a lot, and I think that's one of the biggest reasons I had to leave Boulder. Um, I grew up, I was born and raised in Boulder, which not many people are, I don't think. And it doesn't feel like it. I mean, no. certainly th- thousands are, but it certainly sometimes doesn't feel like it. Yeah. And I was, I was an only child, so I had no like siblings and, you know, I just, I felt like I was just a part of this huge family in the climbing community and it was wonderful. But then, you know, a couple of years ago and actually even leading up to that, I was leading up to Everest and stuff. I was thinking that I should probably like get out of Boulder and like, you know, everyone should move away from their hometown at some point. Uh, and I was actually planning to move to Berkeley after Everest, which I did end up doing. Uh, but I, then I met my boyfriend and I spent all my time in Tahoe and 
you know, I'm, I'm actually really proud of the community that I've created for myself in Tahoe because I am friends with people who don't climb so much and, you know, that's not their main thing. And I'm still, it's still very much an outdoor focused community. Sure. You know, I spend a lot of time with pro skiers and people who mountain bike and people who are endurance runners and stuff like that. Um, so I guess I haven't really like branched out too much, but it feels like I have, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I moved away from my hometown and I had to like, make my own friends and you know they weren't people that i've known since i was 10 years old or who have known me since i was 10 years old so um yeah it's definitely something i think about a lot and i i still wonder about it like you know what if i did go to law school like what would my life be like would it be better and i have no idea but um and i don't regret anything but it's definitely something to think about (laughs) yeah well you know it occurred to me because uh Again, like while I can I can wax poetic about how great the climbing community is, I also know that like the, the Boulder scene, mm-hmm. you know, it can be super insulated, like and and become. Uh, I don't know. I, I've always wondered if it sort of becomes a little bit stifling in that way because, and I know like other people, you know, I have other friends in your generation that you know, kind of went through that same thing of just like day after day at the gym and with the same people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and and in a lot of ways, I've seen some negative stuff come out of that. Mm -hmm. It's kind of insulation that can happen in that. So that's sort of what, why I kind of thought of the question all of a sudden. I was like, well, how did she feel about about sort of pulling out? But obviously, uh, moving away from your hometown, regardless of who you are and what you do, and casting off that support group, is probably a, a very good thing for your character, so to speak, you know? Yeah, I think it was definitely a character-building experience, and I think insulating is a good word for it. I mean, there's Boulder's a wonderful place, and it mm-hmm. was a great place to grow up, and it's a great place to live, but I think, you know, for a certain time mm-hmm. <laughs> in someone's right. life. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, so you feel like you're pretty uh, ensconced up there in Tahoe now for the time being? I love reckon? Tahoe so much. Like... I just love how much you can do there. And I love living in the mountains and like out my back door, I can just go trail running or I can go skiing in the winter or mountain biking or climbing or whatever it is. And, you know, I think it's made me a much more versatile athlete, Mm -hmm. Um, especially not surrounding myself by people who only climb all the time. Right. Um, It's been fun to just like, you know, we go out into the Sierra now and we just do like, we go scrambling and we cover loads of terrain and, it's just fun. It's something I never thought I would want to do. I feel like that was such a limiting attitude to have. Mm-hmm. Like I've explored so much of where I live now, and I think back to Boulder, and I'm like, I never really went. I never really skied there. I never did any of these like classic runs. I never, I never experienced like a 14er. Uh, it wasn't until like I moved away that I went back and climbed the Diamond. So I don't know. It's just been. It's just, it's made me into a more well-rounded athlete and right. mountain person, and I really appreciate that. So, you know, other than Makalu, you've got that coming up. Um, and you mentioned when when the North Face team first approached you, one of these things you had in your mind was like, wow, these people get to travel all mm-hmm. over, all around the world. Um, what else, you know, in, in uh, the next few years, like where are some of these places that you're not necessarily even climbing goals, but like just places in the world that you sort of dream of going. I I definitely dream of going down to South America more and doing a little bit more down in the mountains there because just having been to Ecuador now, I think that those mountains are super beautiful and the culture in the country. 
all those countries and the food and everything. Um, it's just really vibrant, and I'd love to explore it more. Um, so I have these like sort of lofty like ski mountaineering goals. That's something that I, that's an avenue that I'm definitely gravitating towards in the next few years. I think. Aren't you equipped with the like perfect skill set now to go climb in in, in uh, Patagonia? I yes, I was going to say that too. Okay. I desperately want to go to Patagonia because, I mean, and go you, climb. You seriously, like yeah, you you've just you've acquired yeah like the perfect big wall of rock climbing. You can climb over ice and mm-hmm. glaciers and. I mean, I think it would be the perfect playground for me to like sort of cut my teeth on and yeah, experience that combination of styles. Um, yeah, I just have to find the time, but I think that that's definitely high on the list and should happen mm-hmm. relatively soon. What about, um, what about re exploring this, uh, this, uh, your college, what was it, sub? Sub-Saharan African oh. sort of culture or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I would love to try. I've only been to Morocco so far, uh-huh. and uh, I really would love to to travel there and and climb or just go there and experience it. Um, I really want to go to Madagascar, right. actually, and go climb those big walls there. Um, but we'll see. There's just so many places to go. Right. But yeah. Well, it seems like you've set yourself up, I mean, yeah. <laughs> for, for, for the possibility of all these things. Yeah, so. I think the bottom line is, especially with the sponsors and stuff, you just have to be a little bit creative and come up with uh, a good story. You know, that's mm-hmm. like their tagline now. Everyone's sure, like, yeah, we need a good story. story. They yeah. don't really care if it's like super hard or anything like that. They just want something that's entertaining and something that people can relate to. And so... I don't know. It's kind of fun. It's creative. Unfortunately, I see a lot of trend towards like these horrible suffer fest yeah, kind of totally. uh, like like things lately, like where people just go and get like you know they just get crushed, beat yeah. down by the jungle or by yeah. the you know. <laughs> don't you think like there's been like this trend in the last year? It's about a total trend, and yeah. I was a part of it too. I went on that Myanmar trip. Oh, that's was, right. Like, you were on crazy. That. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, that's, that's what you're referring to with the jungle. Yeah. yeah, you guys yeah. got so destroyed. Yeah, I, I forgot all about that. We're we're almost out of time. But I wanted, I should have asked you about that. Um, you guys just, I, I am, we're, we're, we have plenty of time. Um, we have a few more minutes anyway. But yeah, so actually, I got to ask you about that. Yeah. Because um, I actually missed that movie at Five Point. Mm, yeah. Um, it, I think it might have been a, a, something of a premiere there, or mm-hmm. like a first cut or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it was. So you guys went to Myanmar uh-huh. to try to climb some remote peak. Yeah. And you basically like, I mean, didn't you guys just get like beat to with inches of your life by the jungle? <laughs> I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that. So what happened okay. was we went. I said that. We, <laughs> yeah, we went you there. Use that, on, uh, the, that should be the tag for the movie. Yeah, I'm actually doing a North Face speaker series on it this year. Beat to so. within inches of their life. It's called Down to Nothing. Down to Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. What happened was we went there in hopes of climbing this peak called Hakakaborazi, which is meant to be the tallest peak in Burma or Myanmar. Mm-hmm. It's on the border of Tibet and Myanmar. And uh, there's these crazy wild peaks on that um, eastern tip of the Himalaya that have never been climbed before because of this like country that's been shut off from the rest right. of the world it's for like a, a really long time. Yeah, you know, the military's had it. It's, just yeah. in the last couple of years, they're, they're accepting sort of yeah. tourist visas and things like that. They're opening up, and but there's like very little infrastructure in that the northern part of the country and it's it's jungle you go from sea level up to 19,000 feet you know within like 150 miles or something like that so our idea was to do like an old-fashioned expedition 
And so we arrived in the capital city. We did like an overnight bus, an overnight train, a boat, like a 12 hour boat ride. And then we were going to drive. But then there was an insurgency. There's still a little bit of conflict in that country. And so we actually had to fly over this one area of conflict. And then we got on motorbikes and we rode on the back of these motorbikes for 80 miles into the jungle. And it was so gnarly, like super muddy, loads of leeches, like the bikes kept like crashing because we had all this gear with us and they were getting lost. And then we had to walk 150 miles to get to the mountain through the jungle. And uh, like venomous snakes, like we had to learn how to administer anti-venom to each other and like what to do. If And we saw like five super poisonous snakes and Hillary almost stepped on one. It was crazy. Um, and there was also, there's, because of the lack of infrastructure, uh, we had a really hard time getting porters to carry our stuff. It's not like in most of the, those mountain cultures where porters are just like, they just line up to work. Um, they didn't really even have a use for money in that in that part of the world yet because it's all like farming and stuff and so isolated. So we ended up having to cut a lot of our gear and we finally got to the mountain, but it took us way longer than we thought. We spent 10 days trying to climb this mountain and uh, it turned out to be way gnarlier than we thought, just super technical and difficult. And it was my first real alpine climbing experience, like Mm -hmm. legitimate soloing on super exposed terrain, unconsolidated rock and snow and just really sketched out and scared and in the end i got to 18 18,000 feet and i was just like i'm done like i can't keep going it's and everyone sort of agreed they're like yeah the climbing after this gets way more serious and you know you're not ready and you don't have the experience and i was like totally fine with that so i i was psyched with my effort and uh then uh renan and Corey and mark actually got to within like 300 meters of the summit or something like that and they too decided that it was just too too much so we went through this like heinous, crazy experience through the jungle, and we got really close to the summit on this mountain, and then we had to turn around and walk all the way back out of the jungle. <laughs> and then and we like ran out of food, and I don't know, it was impatience. Yeah, it was one another. Totally. I mean, it was just like this classic, like human story of like just whittling ourselves down, and you know stripping ourselves of everything and sort of like realizing who we all are and how we interact with one another. And in the end, it was this amazing experience and I'm so grateful that I had it. Um, and that country is gorgeous. It's incredible. Yeah. Wow. All Mm -hmm. right. Well, can anyone see this yet or do you have to go to film festivals? I think you might have to go to film festivals still, but I down to nothing down to nothing. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I was really, um, I was very involved in a lot of the screenings, but um, I did not end up at that one. And, and afterwards, everybody was talking about this movie. So, oh, really? Yeah, awesome. for sure. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. And the article is coming out next month in National Geographic. Okay, cool. So, so people can look for that. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, that's funny because that, that's exactly what I was thinking of. And I totally, since I hadn't seen the film, I totally forgot that you yeah. went on <laughs> But it's, it just seems like, I don't know, I, I have this vision of like, you know, the, the, the powers that be like in these these companies, whether it's the North Face or any other one, just like, where else can we get this kind of yeah. footage? Like, where else can we put these people to like completely destroy them? You I know. know. Because it's, it's, it, in a lot of ways, it's way more interesting than like, we went and it was beautiful and we climbed the mountain and it was great yeah. and we all came down. Totally. It was awesome. People don't want to hear about that. And then it's also like not <laughs> a horrible tragedy because everybody made it. So yeah, it's exactly. Like, it's like the sweet spot of like complete mm-hmm. suffering. 
Yeah. Because um, that's fascinating. So, it is fascinating. Yeah, People so love watch it. out because I think they're going to be trying to trick you I, into I, doing this. I do too. I think they're all trying to outdo one another. Right. Like come up with the best suffer fests. Totally. <laughs> I, I'm not joking. Like they're just probably like, wow, this is really good stuff. Yeah. It's you like know? reality TV. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Real life survivor. Yeah. So, well, cool. Thanks a lot for, for quickly sort of reiterating that because if I had done more research, I would have remembered that you were... <laughs> You were involved in that. Um, and thanks a lot for coming on the show. I really yeah. appreciate it. Thank uh, you. It was awesome. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I'm a, we're going to be watching and, and hopefully everything's going to go just perfectly up there on Macaulay. Yeah, it'll be boring for and everyone. Just be it's going to be awesome. They're off some <laughs> kicker like right below the summit. That'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, thanks for listening. Thanks to Emily for coming and sitting down. Quite charming, Emily Harrington. And it occurred to me, driving home from work today, is how many people in the world do you think have climbed 514 and also climbed Mount Everest? I think it's probably a pretty small group of people. I mean, I imagine there's some Euros that that's not really that big a deal for. But I think among Americans, that's a strange path be that good a sport climber and then go climb that thing so that does make her fairly unique and she's young she's got her whole life of climbing ahead of her i think there's a lot more rad stuff to be done by emily harrington all right don't forget those new coupon codes enormo at peterwgilroy.com and enormacast at belayspecs.com and if you don't want to support the enormacast that way then please consider going to enormacast.com click on the help out tab and help out by doing some of the stuff that I suggest there. Easy stuff. Free stuff. Helping out brings us closer together, don't you think? And the big thing is to uh, remember to tell your friends. There are people out there that have not heard of this thing. Let's change that, shall we? Okay, folks, get out there. Have a good time. Rock climb like your life depends on it. Because it does. So don't forget to check your not. Want a beer? You gonna call room service? We got beer. You hold beer up this rock, you're insane. I may be insane, but I'm not stupid. I didn't carry it. You did. It's in your pack.